Leviticus 23, 1-3. Tell the people of Israel, these are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of God which you are to decree as sacred assemblies. Work six days. The seventh day is a Sabbath, a day of total and complete rest, a sacred assembly. Don't do any work. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to God. Wherever you live, even when you hear lots of things going on around you, right? <laughs> Work six days, the seventh day is a Sabbath, a day of total and complete rest, don't do any work. That sounds like it should be pretty relaxing, right? Like, like that's kind of like the ideal, right? A, a being commanded not to do stuff. Kind of opposite of what we generally feel about commands, right? Like this should be the easiest thing. Work six days and don't do any work. It comes again from the charge of Leviticus, which is kind of ironic, right? Because Leviticus, again, everyone's favorite book, a book that I'm sure everybody knows front and back, right? We've all memorized Leviticus. Yep, I know Kyler has. He lives by it, strictly. Uh, <laughs> very legalistically, all those kind of things, right? It's kind of a book of rules, right? And of commands, of don't, do's and don't do's. And so to have a don't do that's like don't do anything kind of feels a little strange, if we are honest, or if we actually have read Leviticus, but maybe we haven't. But, you know, it's a book of details. In all honesty, Leviticus, it details life together with others for God's people who are infantile in their maturation as more than a familial herd, right? Like, this is kind of, this is kind of a people who are a people, but they're like, they're like a family people who like have just been born together, kind of raised together, doing some of the things together, but, but aren't really a people people in the sense of a culture, right? Aren't really a people people in the sense of having some sort of established, mature history. A people in relationship with God, absolutely, but whose history, attests have had a hard time figuring out life on their own, much less life with one another. This book, like all the other books, doesn't speak from within a vacuum of generalized humanity. A lot has taken place in the history before this book was written into history, right? By the time God's people hear these words in Leviticus, they've spent generations laboring, not in the animal husbandry of their forefathers. You remember, right, like Abraham, they entered Egypt as a shepherding people. And they settled in a land adjacent to the empire, but favorable to their trade. They came into Egypt as shepherds. They continued in Egypt, at least the first couple of generations, as shepherds. That's what the work that they came into. But by the time they hear these words, they've, that's long been gone. Nor are they ones who did agricultural work. Again, remember why they came to Egypt, why they made their way in the first place, was because they needed the resources of farmers, especially land that had already been wisely farmed, ones who had actually saved up for times of want. No, by the time Moses speaks to this newly freed Israelites, having to learn to live free with God and one another, this group had spent years beyond years laboring to build someone else's vision of life. They were builders, craftsmen, craftspeople. They built cities and built palaces and built temples and anything else progressing civilization demanded. They went from shepherds to carpenters, from outsiders to being the outsourced. Their work had neither season nor stoppage, nor could live without them. Their labor was influenced less by earth's rotation, less by biological necessities, less by terrestrial limitations, than by the aspirations of those whose hands would never touch a hammer. They were not individuals, but a mass, a populace assumed to serve the building of another's kingdom. To those people, 
This is the command. Work six days. The seventh day is a Sabbath, a day of total and complete rest. Don't do any work. Now, while the stories of Sabbath, a seventh day on which labor ceased, the striving after life, given up to being a life, had undoubtedly been whispered in the semi-nomadic huddles and eventually in the ghetto living of the skirts of budding urbanization, truth be told, God's newly freed people had as little experience in stopping or drive to do so back then as we do today. They had as little experience with actually not working and actually desiring not to work as we do today. Too long had they been integrated into the schedule of the system in which they were lived. Oh, I'm sure they long for ease of life just as much as we do. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they desired to be, to be oppressed and to be worked into the ground. Just, just like we don't, right? Yet they had no misjudgments about the cost associated with a day of total and complete stoppage, a day of total and complete rest. Such a concept came then as it does now across as in the scuffle of this, of this everyday life of trying to survive as an ideal, a dream, something for a different place in a different time. Yes, of course, this command was a command, and it was a command from the one who rescued them. Yes, of course, it was a regulation, it was a rule, a law. Yet, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, a regulation they perpetually struggled to follow, maybe more than any other one. And when they did submit to the mandate, as Jesus so readily reminded us in Mark's gospel, they more often than not missed the heart of the rhythm made for them. They missed the power of the day designed to serve them as a means for their life to be a life of wholeness, a life of completeness, as a means for their life to be a life that's holy, a life that's set apart for something special. Honestly, I'm unsure how far we've come from our faith fam fam four families' first days. <laughs> like the ones on their way to the place of promise who ended up wandering in the wilderness, we either have no experience in ceasing or of our, from our usual labors, or we have no drive to stop striving after life. We, we, don't, actually, we don't actually think we can stop after striving after life. Sometimes we might not even want to. Or, sadder still, we are dominated by the efforts to rest. We feel like the efforts to try to Sabbath are actually much harder than the Sabbath thing itself. I'm sure that's nobody in here, right? Everybody's figured it out. And again, of course, we laugh because there are people that have figured it out. There are people in history who have Sabbath well. There are those among our faith family who have done so, as well as those right now in this, in this little community who actually are doing so. And there are those still, I think, among us who are striving to do the slow work of working into Sabbath keeping. Honestly, I think I'm the one on the way to Sabbath keeping, not one who's arrived. So I'm not speaking to you as one who feels like they've got it but like you, who has been striving after trying to get it. Who, like our fourth family, has, is striving to listen to God say, listen, you want a whole and holy life? Live this way. Rest with me. Be with me. Who's striving after it. Who's working into the rhythm of not working. It sounds kind of nonsensical to work and to not work, right? To have to work to not work. But are we really surprised by the difficulty? I mean, tr truly. Like, how many of us do it easily? How many of you can just completely just turn off from doing the normal activities, from trying to get more out of life? 
trying to accomplish something, get something done for a few hours, much less 24 hours, right? After all, I mean, listen, like it shouldn't surprise us. The command to, not, to work six days and rest with God one had to be handed down time and time and time and time and time and time again in the Old Testament. Over and over and over again in the history of God's formation of his people, God had to command them to stop. From the mouths of prophets and kings, from leaders and laymen, as commanded reminders like in Leviticus, or in confronted rebukes like in Ezekiel, the seemingly most straightforward and theoretically welcome pattern seemed the most significant struggle for God's people. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Even more ironic is that getting back into the rhythm with God's created order seemed to be the one thing that, if done, would free up all the other struggles. At least that's what God appears to say through Isaiah in his promise for life again after exile. In Isaiah 58, it says this, God speaking, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, that is, from walking away from it or walking and go from walking away from it to go to walking into it. From doing your business, your usual labor, on my holy, my set-apart day, and call the Sabbath a delight rather than a restriction. And the holy day of the Lord honorable. That means you think of it as a wise design, not just an idyllic design. If you honor it, that is, if you stay committed to it, not going your own ways or pursuing your own business, your usual labor, or speaking absent-mindedly, then you, will, you shall delight in the Lord. That is, your relationship with God will be the source of your heart's desires fulfilled, as the psalmist would say in Psalm 37. And I will make you ride, says the Lord, on the heights of the earth. Experience the abundance of life. All that you want out of life I will make for you, if you'll just stop. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, which as we've been talked about the last few weeks, which is nothing less than God's life himself. My life, life with me, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's what the Lord says of the Sabbath. To a people who are in exile, who find themselves completely unable to have any sort of control of their occupations, of anything around them, he says, if you'll just come back into this rhythm, all that you want in life is what you'll find. A life with me, a life in which I raise you up to the wholeness of all that you're after. It seems like a big promise. And for us, maybe it seems a little foolish, right? Maybe that's why we struggle with it. Because it seems so counterintuitive to the very thing that we're after, right? I mean, think about it even in Isaiah 58. If you remember what comes right before this in Isaiah 58, it's the idea of fasting, right? But a different idea of fasting. Not fasting in a religious sense of just forgoing food and so that you can pray, but a fasting that actually leads you into serving others, into a life of giving yourself away for the sake of others, into inviting others into your life, doing the really hard things like not just serving those who look different than you, who are in places of difficulty, but actually loving your family, the ones that are actually closest to you and annoy you the most. Right? It's in that context that we're then given this command, if you'll just do that work, participate in the good work of what I'm doing, fast and participate in me redeeming and renewing, work six days, and then rest. Then your life will be whole and full. Whole and holy. It seems like the Sabbath, from the foundation of the world, has been essential to living well, to living whole and holy. It started in the beginning in Genesis, remember? The first 
Genesis chapter 1, the first six days, God created good and very good. Beginning of Genesis chapter 2, the chapter in which we get our role in creation and what we're meant to do with God and with others and with creation begins not with another, begins not in its own little deal, but begins with the seventh day. Our life begins in the day of rest. Our callings come out of rest and God's finished work. And yet, this little command has also been something difficult for humans to embrace, either in their lack of actually practicing it or in sadly soul-crushing ways of practicing it. We don't do it, at least consistently, I'm, I'm first to say. When we do, we miss the heart of it. I mean, think about all the healings Jesus performed on the Sabbath and how, how that wasn't so well received, right? Like, we have a tendency to miss the heart of the thing which God has made actually for us. But perhaps, at least in part, in our time and place anyway, that is because we're unsure what the Sabbath is and how it serves us as Jesus says it does. So today I'd like to just take a minute to try to explain that and then give us a chance to encourage one another in the Sabbath. So despite all the different ways we have tried to reduce or expand the Sabbath, I'm sure you can think of all kinds of different definitions of Sabbath, ways of people have practiced Sabbath, saying what it is over the centuries, much of which, again, I'm guilty of kind of buying into at times as well. If we're be a people of integrity, we have to admit nowhere in our scripture do we find much of what passes for Sabbathing in our modern church culture. Like it's just not, it's just not there. At least not there on the positive side. Some, we can definitely find some negative examples if we follow those. It's not a few quiet moments. Sabbath is not a few quiet moments, though a quiet is good for our souls. It's not an individual practice, though how we keep Sabbath can vary. It's not merely a heart disposition, though Sabbath keeping does help our hearts. It's not an extended time of solitude, though that too can be a good thing, right? It's not even a day primarily about abstaining, not doing things. Though not doing certain things is a part of how we get to do other things, more important things, the good portion of things. No, Sabbath in Scripture is nothing less or more than a full day set aside to cease work and be with God, resting with God and others in God's finished work of creation and recreation. It's a day of rest with God in what God has done and what God is doing, but not alone with others. Not just by yourself, not just with God, but with others who are with God too. In the Jewish tradition and many Christian traditions, Sabbath is always observed within a community from dinner to dinner. In the Jewish tradition, Sabbath begins at dinner Friday together until concluding at dinner together on Saturday. And in between, there's certain services and worship things that they go to to do be part of prayers to pray and all those kind of things. Time to reflect, but it's always a communal event. It begins in the simplest communal event, dinner with others, and ends in the simplest communal event, dinner with others. Most Christians, depending on vocations, for example, could observe a Sabbath from post-dinner Saturday with friends or family to, to um, uh, evening to a post-gathering on Sunday evening with their faith family. Just an idea. Just, just throwing it out there. We tried to kind of set it up that way. We talked a little bit about this in the meeting last week. One of the reasons we keep things as simple as we do and we have as few volunteers as we do on Sunday as we want this day to be a day that you can actually Sabbath. And that if we all help a little bit on occasion, then that means the majority of the time we get to Sabbath. We get to at least have a part of 
a part of our rhythm of life. Others are helping us Sabbath. Now, it's up to you to take advantage of that, right? But at least as a faith family, we said we value that. So we use somebody else's space. We keep, we keep the programs to almost none. We try to keep it as simple as possible so that we can all come together on a Sabbath in a Sabbath way. But if you remember what Leviticus says, Leviticus just kind of re- reemphasizes this. It says, tell the people of Israel, these are my appointed feasts. Again, dinner to dinner. Think of the idea of the Jewish tradition, dinner to dinner. These are my appointed feasts, the appointed feasts of God, which you are to decree as sacred assemblies of set-apart times together, not alone, right? The seventh day is a Sabbath, a sacred assembly. And so even in Leviticus, even when the people are being formed in their new freedom, they're being told, hey, listen, there are certain times to feast, certain times to, to make like something good, like this is a good thing, right? A feast is never a bad thing, right? It's a good thing. These are my sacred feasts, my, my appointed feasts, the things that I want you to do to be full of joy and celebration. And one of those is to be with others on a Sabbath. Either way, Sabbath begins at a feast-like time in a sacred assembly and ends feasting in the same way. So, so if we think about Sabbath, scripturally, again, like no one's coming and checking your cards on how, on how you do this, right? Like we don't, we don't have a checks box. Roy does, but nobody, nobody else um, is allowed to keep, to keep tabs. Um, but it, no matter what we think of, of, of Sabbath, if we're honest and people of integrity, we have to admit in Scripture we don't have anything less than this 24-hour idea of a day. Again, usually the way it's been practiced in Jewish and Christian tradition from dinner to dinner, from feast to feast, with others who are doing something similar. That's just the idea. That's the general idea of Sabbath. So how does this special day, this kind of dinner to dinner, day of being with God, with others, how does it actually serve us? The Sabbath serves us in at least three ways that I think are helpful for us. It keeps us in rhythm, keeps us in the created rhythm. It's a day to keep us in God's created rhythm and step with his work and working by doing what God did, resting from our labor, right? That's what we said in Exodus 28 and 11, right? The first kind of command to, to keep a Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh day you shall not do any work. Why? For in six days the Lord had made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and then rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We do it because God did it. We do it so that we're actually in rhythm, in line with how God works, right? We want to live a life whole and holy. We want to live a life in between Sundays in which we're a part of what God's doing and how he's doing it. So this is a way in which it helps get us back into that rhythm. The rhythm of living life in the, at the pace and the speed and the way that God has created and recreated life to be. Keeps us in rhythm. But it doesn't just keep us in rhythm. It helps us remain free. It's a day to remember that we are free. That we're free from striving to live. Freed, as we discussed a few Sundays ago, to live wisely, courageously, competently, and with peace and purpose, in remembering the fall of all that binds and destroys life and our soul. As the second command of Sabbath comes out in Deuteronomy, right before the people enter into the promised land, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, that at one time you were in bondage, and the Lord your God brought you out from there, that not only are you free, but you're free by what God's done, right? With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. He commanded you to keep the Sabbath because this is the way he works. He commands us to keep the Sabbath so that we remain free. That we continue to be ones who remember that we're not bound by the things that take life. 
to steal life, to destroy life. But instead, we're free to live a whole and holy life because God's mighty hand has been outstretched. These things you probably know, right? You probably, if you've been in the church at any length of time, maybe you've heard these from, from somewhere. You perhaps, but perhaps maybe the most significant thing about the Sabbath is the heart of it. I think in some ways we could, we could have Sabbath as a day to get in rhythm with God, to stop working, a day to, rem- to remind that we're free. But I think the, the thing that I miss the most anyway, and I think what a lot of us miss, is the how this day, why this rhythm of life gets and resets us and redeems us. And so thirdly, the Sabbath grounds us in the gospel. Sabbath is a day with God and others who are tuned to God with Him too. It's a sacred assembly. It's a day of delighting in the good news that the kingdom of God is here. That's the gospel, right? The kingdom of God is here. God is with us. As, the, the, um, as God said in Leviticus, wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to God. Wherever you live, it's a Sabbath to God. Not just when you're in the promised land. Not when you're already in a place of life where Sabbathing is, is, is <laughs> practical. Wherever you live, whether you have control of your schedule or don't have control of your schedule, whether you have control of your vocation or you don't have control of your vocation, whether you feel like you're in prosperity, in abundance, or in need, wherever you are, wherever you live, that is a Sabbath to God. So the Sabbath day is a day on which we stop working. We, don't, we stop doing our usual labor. Six days we labor. We'll talk more about this distinction of labor because this is where a lot of us get hung up, right? What's work? What am I working? All that kind of stuff. We're actually going to talk about that in our next cycle because that needs to be its own thing because we've got lots of hang-ups around that, right? And we, we all know that, right, even if, if we struggle with it. It's also a day that we remember through resisting the things that bind life. And again, we'll kind of talk about that, why, how that relates to work and the things that we call work and all that kind of stuff in the next, next week. But what God's good word to his new life, renewed children also means is that the Sabbath is not about separation but communion. It is a set-apart day to be with, right? It's a set-apart day to be with. After Easter life, resurrection life, is life lived differently. It's a state of being with God and being with one another and being a part of creation's renewal, being a part of life resurrected, right? A vision of life, says Samuel Wells, in the rejoining of relationship of community, of partnership. A life where a sense of being is in the presence of another in which there is neither a folding of identities that loses their differences nor a sharpening of differences that leads to hostility. That is, a being together where we neither lose ourselves nor are being lost in conflict and confusion. It's a way of being with others and being holy ourselves and being whole together. It is a it is a way of being that is an enjoyment of the other that evokes cherishing and relishing. The theological word for this contends well is communion. That's what communion is. The communion is the rejoining of relationship within community, a partnership of a togetherness that has purpose, a sense of being in the presence of another in which, again, we are neither lost nor are we in conflict. But rather, in our togetherness, we enjoy the other, and when that enjoyment evokes praise, it is good to sing to the Lord for his works, evokes cherishing and relishing of those that we're with. Listen, God is for us. That fact is evident since humanity's first action against God 
and the fact that even still life persists despite the inevitability of our self-destructive tendencies, right? Whether out of ignorance or arrogance, we would destroy ourselves if left to ourselves. But God's never left us to ourselves. Not even when we blatantly chose another way, right? God is absolutely for us. God being for us and not against us, for our life now and our life forever, not for our destruction and not for our isolation, but for something whole, allows us to trust him and his plans, even if we don't understand them, at least not fully. But, but, right? Even though we know that, even though we have a knowledge of that, do we actually live by that, right? Do we live, does God for us change the way we live? Knowledge of it. As we know in our everyday and intimate relationships, knowing someone is for us does not dismantle the division between us, does it? If my wife and I are in an argument, I know she's for us. She committed. We're in, we're, in a, we're in a covenant relationship. We can't go anywhere, right? We're for each other. That's what we said from the beginning. That's what we'll say to the very end. But when they're in the middle of, a, of an argument, knowing that she's for me doesn't really change the division that we're experiencing in the moment, does it? If you're honest, right? Knowing someone's for you doesn't always overcome misunderstandings, right? How many of us, at our, just in our workplaces, right? How many, of, how many of you have known that your boss is for you, but has given you something to do that you completely don't understand how that is helpful for you, what you're supposed to do with it, any of those kind of things, right? That makes life difficult for you, and you can see no way how that connects into the bigger thing of your, of your work. Anybody ever experienced that? Right. But, and you know your boss is for you, but does that clear up the understanding? Nope. Nor does having someone know that we're knowing someone's for us deal with the sense of alienation that we feel, right? Like how many of you have been in a family where you know your parents love you, but at times you felt like you weren't a part of the family? Right or wrong, good or bad, true or untrue, there was a time when you felt disconnected. Or maybe you're in a friendship, and you know your friend is for you. You have a whole history that says they're for you. But there's moments where you feel distant, alienated. Knowing someone's for you does not overcome the isolation we feel when we are not whole. When something's off, when we're divided, when we're misunderstood, when we're alienated, when we're not a part of whatever that of is. We're not a part of a friendship, we're not a part of marriage, we're not a part of the, the community of work that are working together. We're not a part of it. When we feel the fractures of that, knowing that the other is for us doesn't bring the fractures together. Not fully, anyway. The wholeness of self and our union to God and life shared amongst others that we instinctively search for as humans, we intuitively desire, is not achieved through simple knowledge of another's forness, but comes from actually being with the other. It comes from actually being with the other. The psalmist in the Song of the Sabbath, Psalm 92, that we read in, our, in communion, says this, The righteous flourish like the palm tree. They grow straight and beautiful, right? There's this, there's this beauty to them, this splendor to them. And they grow like a cedar of Lebanon. They grow as something that is made to be made into something grand. Why? Because they are planted in the house of the Lord. They are where God is. They flourish. Why? Because they're in the courts of God. Not simply because they are, or that God is for them, but because God is with them, and they are with God. Why Jesus can tell us back can call us back to the heart of Sabbath is because he has already told us the gospel. 
the good news that God is with us and his kingdom is here. Remember what he said in Mark 1. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news, and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. The good news is not just that God is for you. We've known that from the beginning. The good news is God is with us. We know that in Jesus. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. With allows for being together long enough to work through all the things that divide us. Being with people, actually with them, in the ups and downs, through the ebbs and flows, and openness and honesty and all those things, allows enough time for us to work through our differences and divisions. It's what, theologically, if we talk about it between us and God, it's called sanctification. Right? Allows our divisions to be overcome. What keeps us from God to be removed so that we can become ones who are more at home with God. With enables us to be a part of something. Shown the way to do something that we'd otherwise not figure out on our own. No matter how much we are rooted for. No matter how much, again, like your boss who's for you, if they just give you something to do and don't do it with you, you'll never, you'll feel, always feel frustrated and isolated, right? But if they walk with you to do it, they show you how to do it, then even if you don't understand fully, you know what to do and how to do it, right? There's something that, that keeps the division from happening. When there's a with. With allows the things done for us to be something more than pity. And so with dignifies us. Doing things for people is a good thing, right? But how much of it is done just out of pity? How much do we look down on people that we do things for, if we're honest, right? But when we do things with people, we're side by side. We're dignifying them. With allows the struggle to be shared and the comfort and aid to be personal and genuine and therefore change us, not just our situation. And isn't that the goal? But isn't that how God has always worked? Not always changing our situation, but always changing us. Because he's there to, to comfort us. His, his rod and his staff guide us, right, through the valley of the shadow of death. With is how the four transforms us. With is how the four transforms us. Remember what the Gospels teach us. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God became one and was with us. And then, that's how it begins. The story begins. And how does the story end? Jesus says, go out and train everyone you meet in this way of life. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. With is how the four transforms. From beginning to end, the one in charge of the Sabbath says we keep the Sabbath because God is with us. The Sabbath is a day to be grounded in that good news. To be with God, to rest with God and others who are resting with God, to cherish and relish the relationships which we have, have and are being reconciled for us. That's the heart of Sabbath. Relationship. Wholeness. A relationship with God and with others. If the Sabbath is less than what it has been fashioned to be for us, a day merely for ceasing work, where we don't do anything, only remembering what God has done for us, which is good, right? We need to remember what God's, for, God's done for us. 
But, like, if we just, just again, just remember what God's done for us doesn't necessarily change the way the difficulties and divisions that we experience, even in the fourness. Or if it's only a day to do something for God, which, again, seems counterintuitive in what Jesus rebukes, right? Then we miss the heart of Sabbath and so fail to receive the promise of the day made for us to be with God and others in his recreated good. If Sabbath is anything less than being with, the, being with God and others, resting with God and others in this heart of reconciliation and, and, and life together and wholeness, then the day made for us, then we miss out on the day made for us, the promise of the day made for us. For the Sabbath is that. It's a promise we receive by faith. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says about the Sabbath. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, it's still here, nothing's changed, Creation and recreation, the idea of Sabbath is still, is still here. Let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let's make sure that nobody misses out on Sabbath, on a whole and holy life that comes from being ones who rest with God and others doing the same. For the good news came to us just as it did to them. And the them in, in Hebrews uh, 4 is the same them who received Leviticus 23. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. In other words, it did not meet with faith in their hearts and in their life together. Maybe it was something they longed for. How many of you long for a Sabbath? But, but it never moved out of a longing into a life. And that's where they missed it. But, the writer of Hebrews says, it, this is still a live promise. It hasn't been canceled. Otherwise, God would have, wouldn't keep renewing the appointment for today. Today. The promise of arrival and rest is still a promise for God's people. So let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest. So that no one may fall through such disobedience as theirs, through such desire without actually living it. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, the great high priest, with ready access to God, ready to bring us into relationship with God, ready to be God with us, let's not let it slip through our fingers. Listen, Jesus invites us into Sabbath, preparing and arriving a whole and holy rest with him and others. The heart of keeping Sabbath is being with God and with others being with God. Doing and not doing things that help us to cherish and relish the relationships for which we have been redeemed. If only we had lived by faith, following the one in charge of the Sabbath, it would be so. That's the beautiful simplicity of the Sabbath command, right? All we've got to do is follow him into it. I mean, I know that's a lot, right? We say it tongue-in-cheek, and maybe that's why that's a part of the issue, right? But it seems straightforward. Follow me into it. Not alone, but together with others who are doing the same. Listen, Sabbath is never an individual endeavor. Something done just in our heads or our hearts. And we cannot Sabbath regularly anyway without a community that helps us to Sabbath. Nor without inviting others into the wholeness of our own Sabbath day. In fact, our scriptures assume that we'll need to help one another make Sabbath a delight. Training one another to live in the way of Jesus. So, let's grow together in Sabbath in community. Let's actually be ones who talk about how we're Sabbathing. Invite each other into the ways that we're trying to grow into Sabbathing. Encourage each other to hold to being ones who are Sabbath keepers, 
not some sort of legalistic rule and law, but ones who, are, who we know have a faith, who long for a whole and holy life in Jesus and God, and who have been given an opportunity to live into that by keeping the Sabbath. Holding each other to the things that we actually desire, right? To the things that we actually want. And helping one another achieve that. So here's where we're going to start doing that. What, what time do you guys got? My, I'm having a hard time reading my watch. Two after? Sweet. Thank you. I got a watch that doesn't have little things on it, and I can't wear that on Sundays now. It's great. Um, it's like, I'm not fast enough to look at this. I'm going to have to go, go back to old school digital. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of time to talk about Sabbathing. And so this is a safe place to talk about Sabbath keeping. The assumption is, like, there's maybe a couple people that have it figured out. And if you have it figured out, you'll probably be, be humble enough not to, to brag about it. But most of us don't have it figured out. So this is an okay place to not, to not have it figured out, okay? So we're going to talk about Sabbath keeping without any judgment, without any sort of, like, like expectation that you've got, you've got this all figured out. If you do, Awesome. If you do feel like you're growing in it and are getting it kind of figured out, this is your chance to help us, the rest of us who are trying to grow in it, right? So be humble and honest at the same time. You can do that. And, and be ones who get to just share a little bit of our own history of Sabbath and Sabbath keeping, letting ourselves maybe even answer a little question of what's appealing about it, what's intimidating with it, why are we struggle with it, why is it something that we don't just do. And then there's the big one. What is God inviting you into today? Because again, what did the author of Hebrews says, right? The promise is still alive. The appointment is still being given. Every single day you wake up, you wake up into the promise for today. God's inviting you into rest today. So what does that mean for you? What is God inviting you to do in regards to Sabbath, in regards to wholeness and wholeness in life with Him? And so what I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to pray for us. I'll give you about a minute of quiet before I pray for us. To just reflect and ask the Lord, what are you inviting me into today? And then we'll break up into groups and we'll have about 10 or so minutes to just chat about Sabbath. And I know that's not enough. It's never enough, right? But the hope is that it just gets the conversation going. And then maybe over dinner after this or in gospel community this week or in other ways and interacting, um, you can keep the conversation about Sabbath going together, right? All right. So let's do this. Just bow your heads. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. As you breathe in, just breathe in, God. Just breathe out with me. Deep breath, God. Release with me. One more time, God. With me. Father, I thank you that the promise is live, that you haven't given up on your children entering into the whole, the wholeness and holiness of life that you have longed for us to enter into, that you have made a way for us to enter into. 
thank you that your patience is much longer than ours for even ourselves. And pray just over these next few moments together, Father, Lord, that we would encourage each other because of what Jesus has done, because of, of who he says we are, because he's already died and risen again for us, and our life is hidden with him forever. That despite our ignorance or arrogance, our tendencies or our confusion, despite all the pressures around us, Father, we can be ones who actually live the life that you've made for us. Not striving after it to try to attain it, but because you're with us, where we can be ones who actually get to experience the fullness of it. So help us. Let your spirit speak to our hearts, speak from our hearts to one another. We pray this in rest, resting in the work of Jesus. In his name, amen. Just for time, this is like three. You can. And that way you can at least work through a few of the questions. Don't fill up critic, you got to get through all of them. <laughs>